My name is Volker Kruger. You're listening to From Fair Enough Illegal News here on Waterberg Stereo. The program is sponsored by the Witten de Villiers Brokers in Rustenburg. I uh, asked my um, colleague Johannes Mogutedi to work very really hard today during this program. There are two topics that we're going to discuss. One related to a customary marriage. The question is whether that is a valid marriage in South Africa. And uh, please stay tuned for that. He'll give us an answer on that. And I think uh, touch on a couple of misconceptions that there are out there in this regard. And then uh, also some um, labor law questions will be dealt with. Can I dismiss my employee for refusing to sign a new contract? There's an interesting case dealing with that question, which uh, Johannes will also discuss with us. I asked uh, Johannes Mogotelli to join me again to discuss a very important topic, I believe. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions out there, and hopefully we can give our listeners some good advice today. And I think actually the answer to this question affects a lot of people out there. Um, Johannes, what is the answer to the next one? Is a customary marriage a valid legal marriage in terms of South African law? Uh- Yes, it's, it's a valid marriage. However, it must comply with certain requirements of the law for it to be regarded as valid. I do agree with you that it's a very contentious issue and largely misunderstood by the large members of our community. Uh, many interpret that uh, customary marriage is not a valid marriage and they still need to go and conclude what we call normally a civil marriage for a marriage to be recognized. But the point of departure is that customary marriage is a valid marriage. It must just conform to the requirements of the law. Now, what are the primary requirements of the law? Remember that uh, customary marriage is being regulated by the Customary Marriages Act 120 of 1998. Now, this act act spells out all the requirements that the marriage must comply with. Number one, the marriage must be negotiated Number two, it must be entered into or celebrated in terms of the customary law. Now, it's a very, very broad and um, vague uh, requirement. Remember that uh, from one customs, from one tribe or from one nation, they are not the same. Now, it depends on what are the formalities of the customs that has been entered into and the marriage for it to be valid must conform to that. I know of various number of uh, decisions in respect of whether the marriage entered into was a, was a, a valid marriage and or not. Uh, remember, as I said, that it depends from one uh, custom to another. Number one, the marriage must be entered into, must be negotiated, must be negotiated. Therefore, there must be uh, the go-betweens between the family of the, uh, the, the man and the family of the woman that they must ultimately agree on issues. And when they have agreed on issues, they must continue to enter into a marriage and or celebrate the marriage in terms of the customs. One of the contentious issues is that uh, 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 certain issues are being uh, postponed and or extended. Now, the question is, at the time, is the marriage entered into valid or not? But primarily, I found that the most important or contentious uh, issue is that the bride or the woman must be delivered to the family of the husband. Normally, delivery means that um, she's going to be handed into the family of the husband. She's going to assume a new name. She's going to assume a new role. 
she's going to assume a position in the family of the husband. And that makes the marriage to be concluded. Now, uh, as I indicated that um, uh, if the marriage conforms to those, all of those requirements, it's a valid marriage. Now, there is a section in terms of uh, this uh, Customary Marriages Act which says that the marriage uh, can be registered. It is not a requirement. If the marriage is not registered with the Department of Home Affairs, that doesn't make that marriage not to be valid. I have um, uh, also noted that in some instances, such as where there is death or such as where there is a divorce, some magistrate and or the office of the master would require that the marriage be uh, uh, registered. But it should be noted that the mere fact that the marriage is not registered does not make it invalid. However, for convenience sake, the marriage can be registered and it, um, uh, a uh, marriage certificate can be issued by the Department of Home Affairs. Normally, it's a very informal process. The parties who entered into, the parties who had the go-betweens when they entered into or negotiated such marriage are the parties that are required for the registration of such a marriage. If those parties are not available, an affidavit will be, uh, will be sufficient in this instance. However, as I agree and reiterate, that it doesn't make the marriage to be invalid. It sounds to me like the idea of the Act was not to give a checklist with specific requirements that have to be met before there is a valid custody marriage. As you mentioned, it's, it's fairly widely worded, um, and I guess rightly so, so, because the idea is to cater for all sorts of customs. And obviously there are numerous customs in South Africa, so um, if you comply with your specific customs, and those are obviously not codified, they're not part of any legislation, uh, then there would be a valid match. In other words, if you um, follow the procedure, the process that your customs prescribe in your community and your family, etc., um, and, and, and if your family and your community regards that as a valid marriage, then it is a valid marriage. So it's actually as, as simple as, as that. Am I right? Yes, you are right. And in addition to what you say, we must all, the legislature was very intelligent in concluding such kind of legislation. Because of remember that the customs, the practices and the norms, they normally evolve. Therefore, what was uh, practiced 10 years ago is not what will be valid now. Now, the court need to take into consideration whether to decide whether this marriage is valid or not. The court will regard, uh, will, will, will consider or will look at what, the, what is the custom of uh, that specific uh, family or tribe. Remember, uh, for instance, in the vendor traditions, that for the marriage to be concluded and to be finalized, is that the bride must be delivered. The bride will be given a new name. The bride will assume a specific role. Therefore, uh, uh, that will differ from, for instance, in a Twana culture. In a Twana culture, there's no need that, that, the, that, that the bride be given a new name. She'll just be delivered and the marriage will be, will be uh, celebrated. And that makes uh, the marriage to be valid. Therefore, it depends from one culture to another. To an extent, I say that uh, the roles, the culture, and the, the traditions of that specific uh, 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 tribe or that specific family plays an important role in determination and the conclusion of such a marriage. All right. So you don't have to, as your honest mentioned, go to home affairs to validate the marriage. Obviously, it makes sense to do so, so that we can get your marriage certificate uh, to use it in the future, etc. But if you fail to do so, 
that doesn't mean that there's no valid marriage. And even if there was no uh, marriage officer who uh, did a civil marriage, once again, that uh, that doesn't affect the validity of the customary marriage. But yeah, the next question, uh, obviously, Johannes, is what is the effect here? Um, if it is not a valid marriage, what does that mean? Uh, are they then married in community of property, out of community of property, cruel system, or what? Okay. Uh, customary marriage without an ANC is a marriage in community of property. Therefore, the point of departure is that every uh, customary marriage concluded is a marriage out of community of property. Therefore, uh, the Act makes provision that the parties before they enter into such marriage can make provision that they enter into an antinatural contract and such a marriage will still be customary marriage but be out of community of property. Therefore, it is very important that the parties who want to enter into such marriage should look at their situation and decide what options or what consequences will be most suitable to their situation. And if they want it to be out of community, they must go conclude an antinatural contract. If they want it to be in community of property, they can formally go and conclude such a marriage. However, it's very important that such a contract must be concluded before uh, such a marriage. Otherwise, it serves no purpose. I've had a couple of cases as a notary where I have to help clients with marriage contracts where they come to see me. And then uh, after discussion, it appears that they have indeed already entered into a customary marriage. And then, of course, it's too late to do an antinatural contract. You've got to do an antinatural contract, a marriage contract, before you get married. So that's where there are far-reaching consequences because then, as Jonas mentioned, you are married in community of property which has various disadvantages, as we have mentioned in previous programs. For example, both spouses are then liable for all the debts that any of the spouses might incur. So if there's, for example, an insolvency, then uh, all the assets of the joint estate would be part of the insolvent estate. Or if someone passes away, then all the assets of both spouses would be part of the deceased joint estate. So my advice certainly would also be to rather do a marriage contract before you get married in terms of a customary marriage or in terms of a civil marriage to ensure that you are married out of community of property. Uh, Your Honours, in the case of death, I guess the same principle applies. No? Um, uh, because there's a valid customary marriage, such a uh, spouse would then, as a surviving spouse, qualify as a spouse in terms of the interstate law of succession, etc. Yes, I, I agree with you. But I've also noticed that the practice is that normally there are disputes. And um, uh, uh, if there are disputes, the court will, or the, the master will look at the situation or the circumstances of such marriage. But being the marriage in community of property, the, 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 the remaining spouse will be entitled to claim. However, it should be noted that in terms of customary marriage, in, in certain tribes, such as the Zulu nations and other nations, that uh, people enter into polygamous marriage. It is acceptable, and uh, it is the marriage, it still makes the very marriage to be in community of property. However, in such situations, we do advise clients that they should go uh, uh, make a will for, for, for the situations to be normal, to be controlled, because of their normally dispute in such situations. Yeah, I think that's maybe, uh, in conclusion, the most important advice that we can give to our listeners. Please get legal advice from your lawyer before you enter into a custody marriage so that he can help you 
to draft and sign a marriage contract firstly, and then, of course, also a will, which uh, then would also cater for what happens if uh, one of the spouses or, or both of them pass away. All right. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you, Volker. My name is Volker Kruger, our labor law expert, Johannes Mogatiri, joined us again today to talk about the question as to whether you can dismiss an employee for refusing to sign a new contract. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there were two court cases where this uh, question was sort of decided on. Uh, Johannes, thank you for joining us. Yes, Volker, thank you. Uh, there were two cases which dealt with the, the matter, as you correctly indicated. The question is, can I dismiss my employee if he or she refuses to sign a contract of employment? It should be noted that point number one, that the law doesn't require a contract of employment to be in writing. However, there are certain provisions which are in terms of the basic conditions of employment and act requires that they be in writing. For instance, section 29 of the basic conditions of employment act provides that before the employee starts to work, certain information must be provided to the employee in writing. Therefore, to an extent, it makes provision that there should be some written agreement between the employer and the employee. This includes factors such as the following. The full name and the addresses of the employer, the name and the occupation of the employee, a brief description of his work, the place of work and where the employee is required or permitted to work at various places, the date on which the employment begin to, to, to begin and end. Therefore, the Act requires that this uh, information must be in writing and must be provided to the employee before he starts to work. Now, advice to employers that it's much, it's much safer to do a contract, set out the conditions, spell out the clauses where there will be understanding of what parties are expecting of each other. And in such, we advise clients that they have to conclude a written contract of employment. It is uh, for some certain employees a cumbersome exercise. We render such services. Our the, the clients can come to us and we advise them and if need be provide such kind of contracts to them. Now, uh, the matter came before uh, before courts, and on two various cases, the court had to decide the question: Can you dismiss your employee for for refusing to sign a contract? Now, in one case, which involved Mr. Naidu and the National Lotteries Commission and others, what happened was that Mr. Naidu was an, an employee at this uh, lotteries company. And uh, while still and while still under the employment, there was a restructuring, and ultimately, Mr. Mr. Uh, Mr. Naidu was given the work of being the head of the publicity and media. He was given a package of in the amount of 1.3 million. And uh, uh, remember, he was still under the employ of the lotteries. Then they gave Mr. Uh, Naidu a copy of a contract which was a four-year, no, a five-year non-renewable contract. And uh, 
Mr. Naidu refused to sign. Um, uh, it was this was in 2016, and uh, he continued with his normal activities. And in 2017, he received his normal increase, and uh, uh, he was approached again to sign the contract, which he further which he refused to sign, and uh, the employer. Gave, an ultim- gave Mr. Naidu an ultimatum that he must sign within three years. If he fails to sign within three years, they will take his conduct to be a repudiation and uh, uh, he, will, they, they, they'll be, he will be dismissed. Mr. Naidu still remained adamant and um, uh, uh, he refused to sign and uh, his conduct was deemed to be a repudiation of the contract which the employer accepted and ultimately Mr. Naidu was dismissed. Remember, this was in 2017. Then after he was dismissed, Mr. Naidu referred the dispute to the CCMA. And uh, the dispute to the CCMA, uh, the CCMA confirmed the position of uh, 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 of the employer and held the dismissal uh, to be fair and to, to have been procedurally correct. Mr. Naidu was not happy. He took the matter up to the to the to the to the Labour Court. Now the Labour Court overturned the situations and in 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 a sense that uh, Mr. Naidu was reinstated uh, and uh, was given uh, his uh, job back with all the packages and the monies that were entitled to him. And this was only in the beginning of this year. Therefore, Mr. Naidu got his job back and uh, 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 he was reinstated. Now, there is another case. That other, the other case is between Mr. Matangu and Footballers for Life, PTY LTD. The facts were the same, in the sense that Mr. Matangu was also given a copy of the contract, and Mr. Matangu refused to sign the contract. The employer, in the case of Mr. Matangu, extended the deadlines a few times. He even withheld the pay of Mr. Matangu. Now, uh, ultimately, Mr. Matangu still was adamant and refused to sign. The employer decided to dismiss him. Mr. Matangu decided to take the matter to the CCMA. To the CCMA, the CCMA confirmed the position of the employer that. The conduct by Mr. Matlangu was unreasonable, and as such, the dismissal was fair. Now, when you are faced with such situation, it's very important that you must interrogate your issues and the circumstances around you in your case. But the basic rule or the basic position is that you can ultimately decide dismiss your employee if he refuses to sign the copy of the contract. All right, so if there's an existing contract of service, you are bound to that agreement, and you can't just give the new contract to the employee. If he then refuses to sign that new contract, you can't dismiss, dismiss him because of that. Obviously, if there are other reasons to dismiss an employee, uh, disciplinary uh, grounds that, that, that are accepted in, in, in law, then it's something else. No? But merely the fact that he refuses to sign and accept the new terms would not be a, a reasonable ground for dismissal. Yes, I do agree with you. Remember, uh, the law says that if they, you want to change the conditions of your employment, it's very important that you must engage with, with, with your employee 
consult with him, and ultimately come to come up with an agreement. But the law doesn't say that your employee must agree to what you say, but you must consult. And if the employee unreasonably refuses to sign, then you can dismiss. But it's very important to note that if you want to change the conditions of employment, you must firstly consult with the employee. So you've got to follow the right process, no? like with all other matters, I, I, I would say, no? with, with any dismissal, or any uh, retrenchment because of economic reasons, operational reasons, um, even though you might have a good reason to retrench or dismiss, that doesn't matter. You still got to follow the right process. And if you're not sure about that, rather get legal advice. I agree with you. It's very important. The law prescribed what processes to follow. Therefore, if you are not sure what processes to follow, the best is to get a legal advice and he will tell you accordingly. But you might be substantively right in a sense that you might have a ground to dismiss your employee, but you don't follow the, the same process. Now, in that in that way, you're still following the same thing that the in another forum, such as the CCMA or the Labor Court, can help your conduct to be procedurally unfair, the employee either being reinstated or they get a compensation of some sort. Therefore, it's very important that you familiarize yourself with the facts and the circumstances surrounding your case. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.